Welcome to Unsilent with your hosts, Dave and Brian. This is not another current events podcast. We're digging deeper, diagnosing, and discussing what's really going on today, how we got here, and providing observations for future generations. Welcome to Unsilent. We're Brian and Dave. We're hoping you'll let us know where you think we got it right and where we totally missed the point which you can do by visiting unsilentpodcast.com. Now, let's get into it. So, Brian, what's on your mind? What should we talk about today? Well, today I think we need to dive into this dichotomy between, you know, we hear a lot of talk about saving the democracy and protecting the democracy. And for some folks, it feels like that means protecting the citizen and having a powerful citizen with a strong voice. And for other folks, it feels like that means having strong institutions, a strong government, and and protecting the institutions and the bureaucracies, I guess, and, and the government and having that as a as saving the democracy. And those seems things seem to be very much at odds. And I would argue that that's probably in the top three to five things. So there's like the Judeo Christian values we've been spending a lot of time talking about that you're either for or against that, it feels like. And it kind of feels like you're either for or against for a big government, a powerful government, or for a powerful citizen with a with a voice. So I think we better get into that because that seems to be at the root of a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I think it comes down to where do you put your faith? And I think in, in a lot of cases, folks look at the institutions or they look at government and they say they're, it's, it's there to protect us. They, they look at it kind of idealistically, whereas some folks would look at it and they would say that that the the brilliance of America, the brilliance of this country, is that it's driven by the common person. So even those that get into government originally were thought to be, or 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 designed to be, uh, the farmer that goes to Washington D.C. serves for a while and then comes back. So there's kind of these two different ways of of looking at what makes the country strong: a broad based. Um, uh, citizenry that really drives everything or more, sort of an elite establishment, an elite um, bureaucracy that really drives uh, our, our governance and, and how we do things here. Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I, th- I think you're right. Like one of the things that makes our country different is this kind of uh, the voice of the common man. Right. There, you can go just about anywhere else on the planet and find where the voice of the government is what matters. Right. Uh, that, that seems to not be something like you, you, you know, 2000 miles in any direction. You're going to find that it feels right. like. Right. So so this is the anomaly. And it feels to me like that's part of what is special. And, and if my understanding is correct, and of course, tell me if I'm wrong. And for those of you listening if you think I got it wrong, go to our Rumble channel and chime in on the comments and tell us where we think we got it wrong. And this might be a spot. But for me, it seems like the intent uh, was that great ideas would be developed among citizens yes, and then passed to local representatives who would be getting presumably other great ideas from other citizens. And they would take these great ideas to a hall somewhere or a, a building somewhere and debate them. And the best idea would win and then go to the next level above that. So maybe it went from the town or the city to the county to the state to the federal. And and at every at every juncture there, 
these ideas that were put forth by citizens to their representatives to be carried to the Congress or the Senate Hall or whatever would have ever increasingly difficult difficulty making it past the next level because there's there's ever better ideas being being you know uh, battled or, or you know debated or or ha- you know you have to get through hard, better ideas as you go up and that feels like um, a great way to do it because these are people who are living with the outcomes of these things. And the alternative would be, a, 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 and the, the the good thing is that these are these are vetted thoroughly, <laughs> right? Through a series of debates and and tests and things like that. And the alternative is the top down, like a few people who don't really have to deal with the outcomes, make policies and subject people to those. And if it doesn't work, it just takes a long time for that to get back to the people who made the policies. Is that yeah? Well, your understanding as well. Absolutely. And it is really, it's really in contrast to the way that most governance has taken place throughout most of human history. Most of human history was based on the divine right of kings to make decisions or, or with a, a priesthood and a, and a sage class that would advise them. And then that would be implemented on top of the people who were the rubes, to use that term again, were the, yeah. the, the peasantry. So you had the kings and the peasants. And in this country was specifically formed in revolt against that concept, in revolt against King George, who was implementing things that the citizens said, no, we have a much better idea. Right. And so part of me says, okay, if you're the kind of person who says what we've had is dumb and we should have this kind of top-down thing where the citizens – because, you know, people are not all that bright and, you know, you can't have people who are not all that bright making decisions and things like that. I think that's the, the thought. Yes. Why? And I, again, I don't want to sound like a, a complete jerk when I say this, but why don't they just go where they have that, which is just about anywhere else on the planet? Like, why do we have to change the one place where that's or one of a few places where we don't have that? Why can't people who want that just go find it at the other 93% of places on the planet? I, why can't right. we have this little island where we're trying this experiment? Well, you know, I think it's because at the end of the day, if you think you have the better idea, because nobody thinks that they're among the Rube class, right? I mean, right. If, if, if you think that this is – that the elites need to be running things because they're smarter, then you naturally think you're one of the elites because you're, you're smarter. And therefore, if you're smarter, then it's incumbent upon you to – uh, enforced to, to bring that intelligence to the peasantry class who then will do what you really want, which is to acknowledge that you're smarter. I mean, so, you know, that, that whole idea, that whole pride in being part of the elite class wants others to recognize that you're part of the elite class. The king wants to be rever- reverenced as king. The, uh, you know, so I, I think that's a lot of it that, that there's a, there's a, a desire to rule over those that are less fortunate and that are that are less smart. And that's why we can't go other places because there's plenty of people here that need our particular wisdom. Yeah, it does feel like many of these things come down to people having a superiority uh, complex. Yes, exactly. But their education and their righteousness shed, it would be, the world would be a better place if if people just understood how smart and how how, how great my morals and character is and, and they right. just listen to what I said, like the world would be a better place. It seems to be kind of the idea. Yeah. And that works except for the people below you. Except <laughs> for the people that you have to be ruled. Have their own, yeah, they want to have their own life and things like that. So that feels like a, a piece of it. Another thing that 
that I've always struggled with on this, this idea of having a handful of select people making decisions and not to get into topical stories so much, but we're seeing it now. The Maui fires have just happened and there's a handful of people, only a few, like less than five or 10, probably who there, it seems like, you know, some incompetence. It seems like some conflicting priorities, whatever. Um, if they made the bad choices that right now at this moment, only two weeks after the fact feels like that they made a handful of people really cause some real damage and that, in my opinion, is the argument against having that kind of top-down centralized thing. And here's how I've how I've tried to explain it to myself and others before, which is, yes, we know people can do bad things. And that's why people say, well, we need to have a handful of people at the top because people are just too dumb and, and not sophisticated enough to, to not harm other people. So we need to have people who can impose these kind of moral standards. And I say, okay, well, how much damage can a man do or a woman do? on their own. Like if they did me really bad choices, yes, they could hurt another person, maybe a few other people. And that's kind of the end of their capacity, their, their ability to harm people. What can that? So if a, if a person had really bad intentions or was just really not smart and just really made bad, really bad choices, the extent of damage they can do seems to me to be limited to what they can do on their own. Sure. Take that same person and give them the power of the entire government. Now, how much damage can they do? And it feels to me like it's off the charts. Yeah, it is. And there's one other factor there that makes it even more damaging. And that is that if you put somebody into a position where their actions don't have an immediate and direct impact upon them, and they can, and this is the, the nature of bureaucracies, right? There's, right. it's, it's just a rule book and it's just things we've decided we're going to do and they affect the masses. They don't really affect me. Then human motivation, there's just less motivation to do good. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no motivation to do good, but it right. means that there's less motivation to do good because after all, we're just passing rules and passing things that, uh, and passing things on to the masses and it doesn't really affect me that much. This is one of the, the fundamental problems with that sort of, uh, high level enforcement of a, of a, of an elite, demo, of a, an elite bureaucracy rather on those that are going to bear the consequences of the decisions when they don't bear them directly and they have no uh, immediate response, an immediate negative response to something negative that they do. Yeah, it feels like there's only two levers that would keep that behavior in check. One is an outright revolt, which if given this, done this, the technology we have now, like that's just every every year it's harder for that to be a, a thing that would be a, a realistic outcome. Right. right. And then the other thing seems to be how how – who's on the right side of history. That's, that is a term that has come out, you know, uh, I don't know, in the last decade or so, like the, as these really big divides are happening in our society, like the debate is happening about who's going to be seen a hundred years from now as being the smart ones and who's right. the Nazis and who's the victims, the Jews, you know, like, right. and, bo and both sides say that they're the victims. Right. right. So interestingly uh, how that, how that is, but other than that fear of an, a revolt or a fear of being looked upon disfavorably in history, there's really no other motivating reason to like do a good thing if you're not the one suffering the consequences, are there? Well, there, yeah, there's no there's no motivation sufficient to overcome the positive motivation of gaining power and money for oneself. Yeah, or this just feels good to do this for a while because that's what I want. 
Absolutely. Well, and that's that's the power. That's the ego. That's the pride, and, and that's yeah. the that's the thing that entices people. I mean, you have to. They say about a president, for instance, or a or a congressperson, or a or a senator, that they've got to have a lot of ego to go and make the sacrifices to get that kind of power. And that's really true. Right. And and that's not sure. necessarily a bad thing because you, you want somebody there that's going to push for something that is good, but there's right. there's not as much counterbalance, uh, especially in, in the bureaucratic class. I mean, it's one thing in the sort of elected class that has to restand for election periodically. But really one of the problems I think that we have in this country is there's an entire administrative bureaucratic class that doesn't have to restand for election is essentially uh, governed by civil service laws in, in some cases uh, very difficult to hold accountable or to let go when they've done something that is not in the public's best interest so there's there's right. that whole middle bureaucracy that you know call it what you want you know some people call it the swamp other people just call it the bureaucratic class it seems to me that there's Whenever you remove accountability, direct accountability, as in our first example, or, or, you know, proximate accountability, if you will, in the bureaucratic class example, then you're setting people up to make decisions that, that don't necessarily benefit the public. Right. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we have anarchy. Like I'm, I'm, I think mature enough to understand, like we have to have rules and laws that are based upon values we all share. And I right. think that that's largely what the disagreement is now is we have different values. Yes. And so I'm not, I'm not obtuse to the fact that we, we have to have some sort of law that we all conform to. And I, and I fully believe in that. I think that the, 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 the difference is when the people who are making the laws see themselves as teachers and moral leaders who know better than people and their job is to convince the people that they are governing and leading that they need to put their conscience aside, put their, put their smarts aside and whatever, and just listen to me because really I know better and you right. just need to understand that versus serving the people and taking their ideas and implementing where they make sense and, and dismissing them where they don't make sense and explaining all that stuff, by the way, right. and being transparent and, 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 Again, it gets just comes down to like serving the people versus demanding the people serve the government. So, for example, when I was a kid, you know, meaning junior high and high school, I, I didn't think about the stuff when I was four. So, um, <laughs> really, <laughs> when I was a kid, if somebody talked about the democracy and like uh, protecting our country, I would have immediately thought about protecting the citizens' rights, like that was a thing. And, it, and if you right. ask me, what is the Constitution here to do? The Constitution here is to is to protect the citizens. From the government. Now, if you ask my kids now, I've never asked them this, but I'll bet you if we ask my kids, what do you think the Constitution does? Protect the government from the citizens or the citizens from the government? I would be willing to bet a fair amount of money. They would believe that the Constitution is to protect the government from the citizens and and to enshrine the role of government as the authority right? versus enshrining the role of the citizen as the authority. Well, in, in, in the the moral authority, absolutely. To to your point, the moral authority, if it, it enshrines the government in that place, the government becomes less of a civil servant, if you will, and it becomes more of a priesthood. So right. this is so. If you if you take a look at part of the problem, 
in our society today. There's a lot of you have to believe what I believe. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the smart person at the top. You have to believe what I believe, and regardless of the outcomes in your own life. So right. with, who says that? So that's that's somebody who's preaching. That's somebody who is is a the prophet on the hill, not the the civil servant who's saying that there's a pothole out here that's impacting the ability of people to get to and from work. So it becomes a whole different animal when you're in that situation. It, it, in that case, you have the government saying the people have to be responsive to the government instead of saying the government have to be responsible to the people. And that's it's a completely right. different scenario than when we first started this country and the whole idea was that we're going to take the power out of the hands of the elites, a.k.a. the king and parliament, far away who want to just use us for their own pleasure and we're going to put the power in the hands of the people that that you, you remember when when Benjamin Franklin came out of the constitutional convention and and somebody asked him well what did you give us and he said i we've given you a republic if you can keep it and the whole idea right. being that it's up to you people you people you're the 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 people you are supposed to safeguard essentially the this institution that we've created and we've flipped that to a great extent on its head so what would i propose so if i would if i were saying well what's what's the symptoms and and what do you do about this if we had our elected officials and mostly just our elected officials with a very small administrative class making the rules and making the the uh, pronouncements about what's going to actually physically happen, and they had to vote on all of this, then two things would happen. One, government would get a lot less done. I'm all for that because, you know, I mean, they're, they're telling me that the, uh, that the puddle in my driveway, I've got a, uh, I've got a gravel driveway is a navigable waterway covered by the navigable <laughs> waterways of the United States. You know, like I can yeah. run a oil tanker through it or something. Right. Um, you know, if they, if they, made the rules and the people who were made made the rules had to be reelected regularly instead of saying here's a principle and now we're going to put an entire bureaucracy into place to enforce these rules upon you that would be right. a much better situation to have than what we have now where you've got an unelected class that make almost all of the rules that aren't accountable to right. you and me and the people that we elect really just argue with each other and make political points yeah, no, I, I, and and I think this is where the 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 framers missed this one piece here, which I, they did a great job putting checks and balances in place, assuming that those people you're talking about who have the big ego who would want to run run for office would need to be tamped down and kept at bay because if you let these egomaniacs like just do what they want to do, they would they would dominate everything. So you have right. to have the three branches of government to hold each other in check. I don't think they they foresaw. The willingness of elected official, officials to delegate their authority That's right. and and allow bureaucrats to become at least as powerful as the lawmakers and policymakers. And the bureaucrats were like a power vacuum. Heck, yeah, we'll step in and do it. We get all the benefits of making the rules and, and declaring what is without having to worry about getting elected every couple of years. Like, hell, yeah, we'll do that. Exactly. And the politicians said, well, hey, if I can blame you. And I can get elected because I'm not the one who had to vote on this stuff. I can look like the hero and just blame you guys for doing this stuff behind the scenes that I'm all in for that. I think that's the one flaw. If I had to pick one flaw in how our, yes. our system was set up is that they didn't, they didn't account for um, 
shirking your responsibility to the degree that they accounted for being an egomaniac. <laughs> well, ex- exactly right, and and that's so you end up with, um, it, it, yeah, they didn't they didn't foresee a bureaucrat class that would essentially be you know ninety nine percent of the government and one percent of the yeah. government would be the elected class in, just in terms of numbers. They didn't foresee that, right? And so they didn't prevent that. And but what that ends up doing is it leaves us with a speech making sort of priesthood class. So you've got yeah. People lecturing us on what we need to do with the environment. People lecturing us what we need to do with our with our health. You know, as opposed to uh, a, a and they're not accountable. They just make speeches. And who's okay to judge and who's okay not to judge and all that good stuff that goes exactly. along with all the priesthood. Well, exactly. The the priesthood is in charge of the social elements of society, just like priesthoods have always been. It's just the priesthood now we elect instead of instead of um, being part of our, our local congregation and instead of having some higher authority, which, you know, if you go into the, the, the faith-based place, the higher authority is God and you can't unelect God. But right. if, you're in, if you're in the priesthood class as, as a government official, then you have to say things to get enough people to go along with your congregation. They're your congregation. They're going to reelect you. Yep. And then you've got the people that actually do all the work, the bureaucrats and the 99% of government. And so there, there's where our dysfunction is. We, we've right. converted the role of government from what the founders intended in, in the first American Republic after, you know, 1776 and the Constitution, et cetera, uh, into what we have now, which is an overarching controlling state that controls the social elements of our society, that controls basically every element or tries to control and does a poor job at it because, yeah. you know, look at society around us now. Yeah, I think, you know, simple, uh, I never really uh, thought this through before, so forgive me if this is not very well thought out, but kind of, kind of a simple metric could be how long can the average citizen go without breaking a federal law <laughs> versus how long can a bureaucrat go without breaking a federal law? I would right. I would suspect, I don't know this, I've heard that as much as the average citizen cannot even go a single day without breaking a federal law of some sort. Right. I've never proven that. I have no idea. I, I've heard that multiple times from politicians in Washington, D.C. So I suspect they wouldn't say that if it wasn't, but maybe they're lying. I don't know. So, my, But maybe we could go a week or a month. We, we could not go a year. I no. don't think that. I don't think we could go a month. I'd be shocked if we could go a week. But a bureaucrat, how long could they go just doing their normal routine before they were breaking a law? I would suspect they could go months, years, or their even decades. They could go their entire career right. because they're shielded. Yeah, that feels to me like an indicator that the balance is out of whack. Yeah, does, the, that, does the, that feel like a absolutely, okay. absolutely? Like, well, I never really thought that through, but it just kind of came to me. I'm like, well, that would be a pretty good measurement on what's working, and what's not working. I mean, the, the bottom line. I, I heard this just the other day. I can't remember who said it. I think it was a, a scientist or somebody. They said, if uh, if a police car follows you for one mile, they might not pull you over. They might have no reason to pull you over. But if they follow you for 500 miles, they could pull you over on all sorts of different things. Yeah. You think about the tax yeah. code. What's the tax code now? Something like seventy thousand pages. Something like yeah, that. It's the, the federal ta- that's just a federal tax code. Yeah. There there right. is no doubt that everybody that's listening to us right now, you and I, everybody, are guilty of some tax violation someplace right. because it's so convoluted that it it you you just use it to find things to get people that you want to get. I mean right. so this is where so the that would be apart. another metric is what amount of clarity do citizens have on what is legal and not legal, which would be <laughs> very little if any 
no. versus what amount of clarity do bureaucrats have on what's legal and not legal for them? I imagine they have a lot of clarity. The simple things like that seem to be lost in the conversation right. of like who's serving who and who who should be serving who. One of the things I want to get to before we move on to a couple of questions I have for you is the other thing I think that is lost in the conversation, kind of, not, not entirely, but a great example was a few years ago, Oregon passed this law where they basically legalized all kinds of drugs. Yes. Right? And at the same time, places like, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, Texas, Alabama, like you name your your red state, probably passed laws within three years that made it less available, made it more restrictive, right? And something like a drug ap- epidemic, I think this is one of the the amazing benefits of having our country where the, the decisions are made at the local level and and if the laws are passed, we get experiments to see who the hell knows how, what the exactly. quote-unquote cure is for drug abuse. If Oregon's onto the right thing, then hell yeah, let's apply that across all 50 states. And it's a great little Petri dish to try this thing out. If it doesn't work and it's a complete flop, like Kansas had their thing, um, I want to say five years ago or so, where they basically went all in on very conservative tax codes yeah and they found out they, they couldn't they didn't have money right they had to undo some of it yep that was a great experiment it was exactly. now the, the pundits would say it was a massive failure and the, look how stupid these people are for and their ideology we knew it wouldn't work but I, i'm just opposite. Like, that was a great experiment we learned what didn't work and now we won't do that across 50 states and if oregon has the right idea i suspect they don't but if they <laughs> did in this case Man, that would be awesome to learn. Or if Louisiana has the right idea, that would be awesome to learn too. That that was the original intent of these these uh, these fifty now fifty, but these individual places where you can experiment on without affecting the entire country in certain democratic principles. You can figure out what works and what doesn't work, and then everybody right. can make the. And you can also take into account regional differences, regional differences in values. The right. attempt now, however, is to federalize everything, is to nationalize everything so that everything is decided from Washington, D.C. about everything that happens across the country. There's this idea of the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution where the laws that are passed there will override the state laws, but it, and that is appropriate for certain things. But for most things, whether you're talking about how are we going to do, you know, there's a lot of talk in in policing about restorative justice versus uh, the traditional policing. Well, if we try it in several different places and it and we figure out what works in certain places, we can apply it. We don't need a national government to tell us what to do. I think a lot of the problem right. we have right now is that we're being prescribed one size fits all solutions to different regions, different ways of thinking, and and just things where uh, the folks that want to um, that want to treat abortion in a certain way are in one place, and people that want to treat abortion in another way are in another place. I mean, right? I think that's one of the big current problems with centralizing everything in Washington. And the founders never had that in mind. I mean, they, they put a specific amendment to the Constitution, the 10th Amendment, that says that everything that is not explicitly said here in this Constitution are exclusively reserved to the states to do. Now, we've lost that. We've lost that yeah. to a great extent. We, it's like the federal government can do anything that it's not specifically prevented from doing by the Supreme Court. Well, that's not the way it was intended right. to be. That's never the right. way it's intended and, to be. And if you just if you just look at human nature, any entity, any organization, once it reaches a certain size, its number one purpose is self preservation. Exactly. Number one. Yep. Right. And when you have 
these bureaucracies where they've they've uh, inherited or or been delegated this ability to make all these decisions. Well, there there's gonna be an ever increasing hierarchy there because the people who you know twenty years ago were were doing the thing, were doing the tasks. Well, they want to hire assistants so they can be the idea guy and and delegate down the task. Well, then that generation of people five years later. They want to be the idea person and they want to delegate tasks. And so pretty soon you have this, this, mu- this massive organization where, you know, 10% of the people are doing tasks and 90% of the people are in charge of the ideas and oversight because there's no restriction to that. So right. why wouldn't it, how could, how could it go any other way besides that if there's no restrictions? And, and this goes to the debate about the fundamental role of government. What is government there to do? What is federal government there to do? And the brilliance of the founders, again, were to create multiple different levels of government that were uh, potentially at odds with one another. The three branches of government, as we've discussed earlier, the states versus the feds. And I think if if we ended up returning to this idea that the federal government is primarily there to do things that it's impossible for a state to do, such as, for instance, prevent uh, an invasion by a foreign uh, yeah. adversary. National security. National security. Sure. So prevent that. Um, to govern disputes between the states, the you know the, yep. the interstate commerce. So you can do that. Yep. Um, very little else. Banking and finance, like a mon- you have to have a currency. Yes, you have to have. Yeah, you've got to have a treasury. You've got to have a currency. You've got to somebody's got to regulate the seas. Uh, but there's very little beyond. I mean, if you if you really get back to the the basic philosophy of why human beings originally decided to band together and have tribes and have governments, it was to protect themselves. It was self preservation to prevent people right. from doing them physical harm. That's the first role of government. Now, now we have extended government to say how I should treat you uh, because of what whatever characteristics you have, how I should treat you, who I should do business with, um, any manner of social things that should be the role of society. Now, people also, I think, when they think of this, this large government concept, think of government and society as synonymous terms. They're not. Society right. is a thing. Right. And societies put in place a governmental layer to do things that society can't do by itself. You and I and all of our neighbors can't defend against a uh, missile flying from North Korea here. Nothing we can do about it. Right. We need somebody to do that. And we're willing to give somebody some of our money to do that. But we don't need anybody right. to tell us how to treat one another. I don't need anybody to, to say, well, we don't – if somebody says, well, we, we don't like you know old bald guys. We don't like guys in their 50s and 60s that are bald. You know? Wait, what, what age are you calling old? I, I need to know that before we move on here. Like, <laughs> I, I tell you, over 75 I, I, No probably, comment. Right? I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. <laughs> don't tell me, yeah. So if you if we if we think about it if we think about what the appropriate role of government has been and what it is now they're completely different things when the right. United States was formed it was in fact they had a tough amount they had a tough time saying that raising money uh, accumulating money to get the flag put in place I mean, just, right. just to do our original flag. It's like, well, that's not really the federal government's role, is it? To, that's to, not really what their role is, right? That's not what their role is. But now we have a tough time saying that, well, 
um, we're going to tax you um, because you don't need as much money. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, it's none of your business. You don't need to know what we're going to do with it. We don't even know what we're going to do with yeah. it. But we're doing we're doing good things with it. Just we're, yeah, you we're, know. we're the ruling class. <laughs> it, it, see that it's a so what we have now is we've got a perversion of the fundamental role of what governments were originally and appropriately designed to do. They're designed to protect yeah. us first from physical harm that other other foreign entities would do. And they're designed at the local level. I mean, if, if you think about the United States, which is interesting, we don't have uh, a national police force, right? Almost all policing is done on the local level. And that has made us, right. in theory, a, a better country because we don't have, you know, the king doesn't have his own police force. Now we have CIA, right. we've got all the three-letter agencies. That, yeah, I would argue that the IRS is becoming that and, and yeah. provenly approved it been proven to be that and the yes. fbi is something now certainly all the three letter yeah, yeah, yeah. you know agencies yeah, yeah, come yeah, that. Sure. I, but i agree with you you know 25 years ago that was not the, the fbi maybe but not not the other one so much right. uh, up until recently for sure yeah and, and yeah go ahead so so until and unless we get back to a functional form of uh, a functional philosophy of government, then that principle that you're talking about, the principle of bureaucratic creep, I've, I've heard it said before that any bureaucracy of any size will grow by about 7% per year, every year, right. forever, unless it's checked or is somehow intentionally restricted because right. this person has got enough work that they can justify another person, which generates more right. need over here for the payroll. And they people. don't want to do the work. They want to be the manager, not the doer. Like Everybody wants to nature. be the manager. And, and when your funding is, is predicated on solving problems, you think you're going to find more or less problems to solve. Like exactly. this is, and if, if I can grow my department so that I go from being the, the task doer to a supervisor to a manager to a director. And I do that like I would grow any business by solving more problems. I get more money personally. I get a higher income for right. being a director than a task doer. Right. And I get less things to do. I can have more fun at work than because I'm not doing things that have deadlines and are numbers crunching. And I can put my feet up on the desk and holler at my personal assistant or my executive <laughs> assistant to do like this is human nature. This yes. is basic stuff. I don't understand why I don't get it. And, and back to your point about the original point of the government was to protect us, was also to protect us from the federal government. Yes. The government's job, one of the primary jobs was to protect us and make sure our rights were not infringed upon by the government. Going right. back to my point earlier, which if I were to ask, I would guess if I had called a thousand 20-year-old kids and said, is the Constitution here to protect the government from the citizens or citizens from the government? 90% would have it wrong based on what the original intent was. Well, yeah. There's no question about that. If people don't understand the history of it, that the the entire formation of this country was predicated on an overarching national government, a.k.a. King George of England and, and the parliament that was yeah. thousands of miles away. The entire – the whole predicate for this country existing was that. The whole predicate for – the pilgrims and the Puritans and all the different people that were coming here was to escape centralized oppression, whether it was religious right. oppression or governmental oppression. This and, and so that's yeah. where this country is unique, and also where a lot of the angst that we see in this country is about these things that we're talking about, because we have right. it in our in our core nature as Americans, if you will, or a lot of us do at least, that a that we are to what, what's the old? It was I can't remember which state it was. Live 
live live free or die. Is that New Hampshire or something? Yeah, yeah. It's on the, it's one, New Hampshire, I think. I think yeah, it's yeah. New Hampshire. So live free or die. You know, or or Patrick Henry. You know, uh, Patrick Henry. Give yeah. me give me liberty or give me death. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the entire predicate on which the country was founded. And that's the, the predicate on which the Constitution was created. And, and you're absolutely 100% correct that the Constitution was created with the specific purpose of protecting us from a powerful central government. Yeah. So those two examples you just gave are, are perfect examples. In my mind, again, I don't like binary situations, but I think this one is, is, a, is pretty close to a binary thing, which is the two things you decided, give me liberty or give me death or live free or die. Independence was absolutely the paramount desire yes. the outcome that we wanted was independence yes and liberty and what we've what we've moved to is we now want comfort and safety yes and you cannot have comfort and safety and liberty and freedom that's right it doesn't matter what you do you can't ride a bicycle without choosing i'm gonna be i'm gonna do this safely or i'm gonna have a lot of freedom i can be have a lot of freedom and ride with no helmet down a freeway and not be safe but i'm doing what i want i can live on an island and have tons of freedom and no safety, or I can be in a prison and be the safest place you could possibly be and have no freedom. Like there's endless examples of where you either have to choose freedom or you have to choose liberty. And, and that, that balance that we're striking has moved from, it used to be very heavily on the, on the liberty side and freedom side to now it feels like it's very heavily on the safety and comfort side and convenience even maybe. And, and they have you, the people who are this creep you're talking about and, and people who are wanting to have more power, that's the that's the the candy they're enticing the kids with to get them in the van. And this is you can have all this safety, you can have comfort, we're gonna give you money, we're gonna you won't have to work as much. All it's gonna cost you is your freedom, right. all it's gonna cost you is your liberty. And the people who are not going along with that are going, What the hell's going on? Right. <laughs> well, it, it eventually what happens in that scenario, I mean, if you play this out to the end of the the end of the story, right? To the the hour that the uh that the uh, uh, soap opera is over. Well, what ends up happening is it's unsustainable, and and the the reason that people these days, I believe, are willing to to sacrifice freedom for temporary safety and temporary comfort is because, for the most part, our generation hasn't paid that the price for that. It hasn't. The right. bill has not come due yet. The bill is right. coming due. It's there. There are laws to societal functioning, just like there are laws like gravity and physics. So this way of thinking, this way of doing things will eventually cost us so much that we will once again have reinforced to us like the founders did yes. and like the, the World War II generation did that you cannot live this way forever and not pay a very, very heavy price. And when that day right. comes due, when that time comes due and we pay that price, we'll remember for a period of time after that, we'll, we'll struggle and it will hurt and we will try to once again recapture our, our liberty and our understanding of how things really work. But eventually in time, that success will breed complacency as it has. And, you know, we're, we've, we've bred through a, a complacent generation, which we're, yep. which we're scared of somebody saying a negative thing to us. And that becomes, you know, violence. After that happens, we'll, We'll learn, then we'll forget again, and then the whole cycle will repeat. We'll talk about this in a future episode, but this whole yeah, cycle sure. is going to repeat again and again. Yeah, and, and I think when when people hear us, folks who are like us, talk about how this is unsustainable, I don't think they understand what we mean by that. So I, I here's a couple of ideas that come to me immediately. One, it's unsustainable financially because yes. 
that 7% creep eventually bankrupts you. Yes. And eventually you've borrowed so much money to pay for these things, this comfort that you can't do that. Eventually you have enough social programs in place that you can't, you just can't keep funding that you've taxed as much as you can tax people. I mean, I've seen in California, for example, right now, if you pay, I don't know, let's say you only pay 40% income tax in California (laughs) on the federal level and only 13% or whatever it is on the state level, like over half of your money is going to the government now if you're in the right Right. geographic areas in the right amount of income. At some point, that that creeps down to lower income levels because you need the money. And that becomes unsustainable because people just can't afford to buy stuff that they need. So you have the financial piece, but you've also got this kind of liberty versus comfort thing where you keep taking liberty away from people who don't need the comfort, who don't value that as much, who are on the, listen, just I'll take care of myself, my family and I'll take care of ourselves for the most part. Yeah, we're glad to have things like unemployment insurance and stuff like that, something catastrophic happens. But by and large, we want to have the freedom to go do what we want to do. And we won't, don't want the, the, the responsibility of taking care of other folks. We want to take care of ourselves and we're glad to do that. And eventually you take away enough freedoms from those people where they just had enough. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the, I think the thing that it's like, in my mind, it kind of, it's like the person who says that, that <laughs> I'm picturing, so I don't want to say who I'm picturing like a, uh, you know, a 55 year old woman who says she has a great sense of humor that does not have a great sense of humor, <laughs> but she's decided she's the arbiter of comedy. Right. And like, when you say something that you think is funny as a 21 year old kid, for example, in my situation that I thought was really funny and she did not think was funny. She had to tell you, she was the one who decided what was funny and not. Right. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You have your sense of humor. My, what I think is funny goes beyond what you think is. And, and you think I've crossed into crude or whatever. Well, the same kind of thing happens with this stuff. People who say, I will decide how much freedom you should have. I will decide what the balance should be. As they're imposing this upon people, they reach a point and they say, F you. Right. <laughs> I don't want to listen to you yeah. anymore. And if that means I have to do bad things to make that happen, that's what I'm going to do. And, and that's, you know, one of the, um, one of the key lines of the Declaration of Independence goes to that. It says basically that, uh, people are predisposed to suffer evil as long as evils are sufferable. I wish I could quote it exactly. But there comes a point yeah. when, and it's really, I, I think it's really, this is what I think people don't necessarily recognize and, and will see. There comes a, a point when it is no longer sufferable, and it's not a gradual thing. I mean, the the gradual you know, harms that lead up to that point are indeed you know, incremental. It's boiling the frog. But eventually, the frog realizes, unlike the little analogy that people use about boiling a frog, eventually the frog right. realizes, hey, wait a minute, I'm actually boiling here. And at that point, the frog goes nuts. It, so there's there's a tipping yeah. point. There's always a tipping point. In every in, in the right. American Revolution, there was a tipping point and in, in every kind of significant change. So it, it can change very, very quickly when enough people yeah. just see that crime, taxes, whatever are just, they're no longer sufferable. We cannot do it anymore on a Thursday, on a Wednesday, whatever it is, we're done. Yeah. And the unsustainable thing could be like what you're talking about with, with, uh, it's not so the the taxes, but not just in the monetary sense and that you're taking, you know, 63% of my income like that. There's an unfairness piece of it, but there's also an ROI piece where I'm paying this money and the tangible benefit I'm seeing is so little now. Yeah. That this becomes ludicrous that I would do this. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think that that it, it becomes unsustainable because as a a fewer and fewer select people make these dic- you know they dictate what's going to happen rather than making 
um, representational decisions, right. I guess I would say, and they're more and more isolated from the outcomes, the the likelihood of bad decisions seems like it would increase in alignment with how much more power they have. Right. So not only do they have more power, but they ha- they're more likely to make bad decisions. And with that more power, the consequences for people eventually, it, it seems to me, would just be off the charts bad because of the degree of bad decision coupled with the the amount of power or impact that bad decision would have on a large number of people or severely for even a moderate number of people. Well, and you see that in in areas like the homelessness crisis that, you know, we've always yeah. had homeless folks. That's always been the case. But the majority of the the work that has been done about all of that in the past 10 years has, as we've talked about in other episodes, has not helped. It has made it worse. And so eventually, even those that that are generally in alignment with what the governmental priesthood, I'll call them, is preaching about this stuff, or right. what the governmental priesthood is preaching about about law enforcement. You know, there there was a time when it was like, you know, and this this time was not too long ago after the the riots in 2020 yeah. that oh cops we got to get rid of cops defund the police and all this type of stuff. Well, there comes a time when there's an actual practical outcome that's undesirable right. that you just physically cannot ignore anymore. And when that time comes that you physically cannot ignore that or physically not ignore the fact that the government's taking a, a huge amount of your money and you're not seeing any tangible benefit for it. And you all you are seeing is people making big speeches and not actually doing any work. Um, then it will collapse because, and this is again the genius of American, the American Republic, the, the democratic principles of the American Republic, that the power is vested in the people. The people are pretty chill for most, they're, they're pretty chill. They're like, okay, yeah. just another politician saying stuff. Okay, I got to pay another yeah, yeah. percent. All right, 2% more property taxes. All right, I'll just I'm deal with it. About it. But then I'm going to go to work and dance. Yeah, I'm going to move on. But right. then at that point, but then it's like, one uh, percent more—the straw that breaks the camel's back—happens, and yeah. no matter who you are at that point, whether you're left or right or whatever, at that point, it's like no more. Th- this far, no further. We're not gonna. We just. We're. What's the? Uh, who? Yeah. I'm not gonna take it anymore. Was <laughs> the rock song? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna take it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like uh, quiet. Was that quiet? Right. I don't, I I don't remember. <laughs> Anyhow. The, the, <laughs> The other the other thing that that um, comes to mind with this like unsustainable part is eventually so much money is needed to feed the bureaucracy that the benefits yeah. of the people who are supposed to be benefiting don't even get the the, the benefits and then they get pissed yeah. because they really do need help in some cases or they're just used to to getting help in whatever in other cases and then they don't even get it and because the bureaucracy getting fed and the and the that that whole whatever monstrosity that becomes has to be fed. So, so Dave, what, what would somebody who says you and I are nuts, what would they, what would their argument be? Like, I think that you and I have, you know, spent, we've spent 46 minutes now laying out the case here, <laughs> but what, what is the argument of why you and I are dopes? Like what, what's the reason that would somebody would give, they explain that you and I are full of crap. We don't understand. It's guys like us who are the problem. And if you only understood that blank, then you would come around to my way of thinking. What's what's the argument for for having this kind of top down thing? Well, I really think it is the fact that, and, and it is a fact that there are some very smart people, and those very smart people are 
are oftentimes they gravitate towards government. They gravitate towards some of these upper positions. Sometimes it's just the, uh, the people that are, are very charismatic and can say very, uh, yeah. very charismatic things. And therefore we think they're very smart. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think the, the argument for it is that why not let the smart people control things? They're smart after all. They know what they're doing after all. So, and of course, the, the counter argument to that is that just because you're smart doesn't mean you're good. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you are, are uh, immune to human emotional motivations. So, I, but, but the, really, the argument that I've heard is that, uh, well, you know, uh, we need to leave this all to the elite bureaucracy who really knows what they're doing, and you just do your daily work because they they they're trained in this they've got the degrees they have all the all the smart people know each other it's kind of a it's kind of a a, a scholar priesthood that we're we're told we should leave it to so but you you can see the right. logic you can see the logic behind saying smart people should have more control i mean on on a on a surface level it's like if i want if i want to uh if i want to know a problem i've got medically i'm going to go see the smartest guy i can find medically i'm going to go see the doctor if i want to navigate my t- the tax code i'm going to go see the cpa he's smart about this stuff but the so yeah. so that's really where i think the argument comes what it comes down to ultimately at the same time that ignores human nature motivations that's where i think the problem is yeah yeah i think that um well like he's i agree with you 100% like People being smart does not mean they're good. Does not mean they're right. moral. Does not mean they're ethical. Does it, it, that? Um, I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine not long ago where we were talking about these kinds of things, and and my friend said, "Well, you know, I want somebody who's really smart." And I thought about it for a few minutes. And I don't know if if intelligence or education. It was more education we were talking about than yeah. intelligence. I don't know if that'd make my top ten for what's right. what's a great leader. Right. I, I I I mean, I would care about morals and values and. And grit and exactly. some things way more than I would education. And, and then the other thing is, for me, looking at, okay, you have a smart person in there. Like, let's say you have the smartest person in there. They can't beat the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy has to be fed. So, for That's example, right. let's say you really wanted to do income, some kind of income distribution. Like, I'm not a fan of that. But let's say that that was your thing and you were you were all in on that. And you wanted to take money from the rich business owner and give it to the poor employee. Well, why does the government have to get their cut? Right. <laughs> why can't you just make it so that the the if the business owner is making over, let's just I'm going to use round numbers, a business owner is making over a million dollars a year, and you have you know 100 employees, you have to divvy up 40 percent of that. Anything over a million dollars, you have to divvy up over your over your 100 employees and pay through your payroll system, right? Which would cost zero bureaucracy during red tape. And you'd have a, you'd go through your normal IRS process once a year, whatever, when you had your taxes filed and you might get an audit every 35 years or whatever it is. Why is, why aren't solutions like that in place versus you give 40% of your money to the government, the bureaucracy chews up whatever percentage it chews up. And then we spit out whatever's left to the people we've just, we've determined are worthy of getting that money. And if you it like if a, if the Red Cross operated that way, they would have like an F rating and whatever that that organization that ranks the, yeah, the charities. charities on how much money actually goes to the people who need it. Exactly. This is this is okay. So even if you have smart people in place, the bureaucracy becomes this massive entity that has to be fed, and right. and it and it bastardizes bastardizes even good intention. Or you know, again, I'm not arguing for redistribution of income. I, I think there's better ways to solve those problems. But even if that's your solution. 
it bastardizes that. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I think that's where we are at right now. The Even if you have the smartest, you got you have people at uh, Einstein-level IQs, you put 10 of them in charge, they're going to get eaten up by this massive machine that we've created over the last 50 or so years, 70 years, however long it's been, that we've created. So that, and, and this is where you have a rule book, you know, it's like you could put the smartest person in charge of the IRS, but with a 70,000 page or the treasury with a 70,000 page tax code, they, they can't know it. They can't even operate within that. Yeah. Where, where, where would you even start? And you, and you have a, you have two to four years if you get put in that position by the president, I'm guessing, yeah. and you'll be fired halfway through your term or you won't, you make it four years and they, whatever. So you have, you have a handful of years. Where would you even start to make improvements? Yeah. How would you even define what an improvement was? I also wonder on these kinds of things, IRS is a great example. Who who are you serving? Which which lot of the citizenry are we prioritizing when we make IRS rules? Right. Is it is it the, the lowest income people? Is it the middle class income people? Is it the like like they say all the time it's it's for the low income people or middle class, but the <laughs> the outcomes never really seem to reflect that. So right. before we run out of time though, question for you again, like Aside from that argument, have really smart people at the helm who are who are more capable than the rest of us dopes to to figure out what the quote unquote right thing to do is. Besides that, what's the next best compelling argument as far as you can tell for having this top down? We we are making dictates to people rather than taking suggestions for them, and implementing the best ideas from them. Well, I I think the other argument for it it's it's the inverse of the first argument, which is we have to put rules in place for the not smart people to control them, to guide them because they're incapable of living their own lives and taking responsibility for their own actions and doing the things that are going to benefit them the most. So it's, it's, it's just the inverse. It's the natural inverse of that same argument that yeah. you and I really shouldn't be trusted with because we're not smart. We shouldn't be right. trusted with so much responsibility that we can determine what should happen in our neighborhood, in our city, in in our lot, in our lives. We we need to be told. Yeah. I you you Brian, you are not sufficiently capable of driving your car safely. So I need to make a law that says you have to wear your seatbelt, and if you don't do it, then you know. Uh, you're you're breaking the law, not because you're not wearing the seatbelt yeah. because you know it's going to help you. Um, yeah. So- now, now, listen, I, I I I understand this. I've been to Walmart and I've seen people, and I've literally <laughs> nudged my wife and said, "Holy crap, that person votes!" <laughs> like, like I, I understand it, but then I go back to my argument, like, okay, what's the worst thing that a single person could do yeah. with just the resources a single person could amass, or even a handful of people, or even, I mean. A commune of people. What's the most damage they could do versus what can somebody with the same intellect, the same bad intent or same poor choices who has the weight of the and the, and the resources of the government behind them? What much damage can they do? Like to me, that's I, I get it. But if you just take a half a second and think it through, like the, it becomes clear that you can't. Because people are so dumb, you can't give them all that power and ability to to use those resources. Well, and you see, this the beauty of democracy is that first of all, it's it's okay. So the the non beauty of democracy is it's messy, but that's also the beauty yeah. of democracy. So if you take a look at 
at our system in the United States. So we've got this this cumbersome, you know, three branches of government. It's it's inefficient. It was designed by the founders brilliantly to be yep. inefficient. It's not supposed to be efficient. Right. It's supposed to be hard to a do. A lot of people have to think this is a good idea for it to happen. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it should be inefficient. And it, why should it be inefficient? Because it prevents government from doing bad things. And the reality is right. that if you study human history, one lesson becomes 100% clear, and that is the most the, the worst things that have ever been done have been done by governments. You can say, well, what about religious right. wars? Religious wars were only fought when you gave them governmental power. Governmental power right. has caused more harm across the grand scope of, of human society over the years than anything well, else. And why do you think that is, Dave? Why of all the entities that, that could it, could you could make that claim for, and I agree with yeah. you, why is it that governments are always the culprit or generally the culprits? Because that's the place where, constant, where where power can be concentrated most. And absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. So you you right. the, the beauty of, of our system is the power is so diffuse that it's it's hard to get or it has been hard to get absolute power, and therefore absolute bad is is hard to accomplish. Now, if you take a look at at the the messiness of our society, if you take a look at well, yeah, there's lots of rubes out here. People might say I'm a rube or you're a rube or something. There's there's lots of people who have right. chaotic ideas and they're gonna they're gonna run about and they're gonna do crazy things and and it's it's not and, and a lot of people can't stand that. I think one of the the arguments is we got to get it organized. We can't let everybody do what they want to do because right. it's messy. But the messiness is one of the limiting factors. It's one of the breaks. It's one of the the things that keeps bad things from happening is the very fact yeah. that it's messy because it's hard to get all these, you know, just use the cats, all these cats running around doing all – it's hard to herd right. them all. And as a result of that yeah. – and, and, and the historical result of that, the historical result of this kind of messiness that we have is that we're the most powerful country in the in the history of humanity. So this messiness, right. this this weirdness, this you know strangeness that we have had, has led us to the point and where we have been, and we probably still are the most powerful country in the history of the world. So the proof is in the pudding. It works. It works. Yeah, and I, I think that again, go, these things seem to all be great ideas right up until you factor in human nature. Yes, exactly. So the people who want who want order, like okay. <laughs> Go you. I'll tell you what. I will. I will submit and consider that your idea is the better one. If you can get a fifty-person PTA to all agree on the same thing on how to do something, <laughs> or a three hundred-person church, or a twenty-five-person bicycle club, right? Like <laughs> you, you have success at those levels. I'm, I'm all in to hear how you want to do this to three hundred fifty million people. But when you cannot get a hundred people who are in a whatever kind of organization, a chamber of commerce, or I mean, any kind of nonprofit organization to all 100% agree on exactly how to do the same thing. How in the world do you expect to have this on a on a much grander scale? That it again, it just these things all sound great until you factor in human nature. Well, and we just don't do these things. And think about the most orderly societies on Earth today. North Korea is a pretty orderly society. Pretty, pretty orderly, pretty yeah, orderly yeah, society. Would, they're pretty good. You know, the the most orderly <laughs> yeah. societies are the ones with the the greatest uh, chance of doing bad. So so China was communist. China was very orderly. They became less orderly right. when they uh, I think it was under Deng Xiaoping 
They become significantly less orderly when they started introducing some free market capitalist principles in it. And that's when the country grew. So disorderliness is something we should be comfortable with because it's one of the things that keeps bad things from happening, even if it's even if it's messy and uncomfortable. Right. I agree with you 100 percent. Well, we've we've used up our time for this week, Dave. Um, those of you listening, again, go to unsilentpodcast.com to, to tell us where we got it right, where we got it wrong. Those take you to our Rumble channel. And, of course, you can uh, you can find us on uh, different social media platforms as well. Unsilentpodcast.com, those where you can find all that stuff. So until next time, this is Dave and Brian signing off. See you next week. Do you want to be unsilent? Make your voice heard on our social media channels and share where you think we got it right or wrong. Go to unsilentpodcast.com for social links so you can join the discussion. 